You're listening to Design Talk, a podcast for conversations connecting design with theory, organizations, business, and impact. Hi, I'm Afolabi. Hi, I'm Karina. And we're pleased to welcome Ian Doyle, Consulting Manager at Gadwire Software. Can you tell us a little about your background and your current role, please? So I suppose my name is Ian Doyle. I'm Consulting Manager in Guidewire. I've been with the company 11 years, um, which I think is maybe kind of a point of note because I think 11 years in, in the IT industry is probably a lifetime. Um, I graduated from DIT, um, not at DIT anymore, Angel Street in 2006, um, doing a software development degree. And went traveling for a year and then joined IBM when I came back on their graduate program and spent about six years in IBM um, before moving on to a consulting role in Deloitte. Spent a year there working primarily in the revenue commissioners and just on Georgia Street there. And then I moved to Guidewire in 2012, February 2012, um, when at the time it was a very, very small Irish operation on a much smaller company. So it was less than a thousand employees. And I was the 12th employee in Dublin to join. Okay, thank you very much. And uh, you already talked a little bit about your career. And um, I guess our question would be, what does a day in the life um, at the Guidewire software look like? Yeah, I suppose, um, obviously, it's very dependent on role. So the, a day in the life can vary an awful lot. And I think my role is probably quite dynamic and varied because I think the role of a manager in a large organization generally is so um, part of my role um, is just dealing with whatever has come up, you know, that day, that week. So that could be issues with my employees. I manage a team of about 18 people. Um, so it's just whatever issues they have. So the role, I suppose, you have to be to a certain extent, you know, open to change, open to kind of things coming in, open to having a plan on a, a Wednesday and coming in and something upsetting that plan or something overriding or becoming a higher priority. And um, my main role is being a people manager. So managing, like I said, a team of 18 people. Um, doing regular check-ins with them, catch-ups, coaching. So coaching through various parts of their career or if they're having issues or if they're maybe looking for uh, an imp- like a, a promotion or a movement from one role to another, kind of coaching them through that, talking about kind of skills development, as well as getting feedback from peers and leads that they work with and kind of then you know, using that in their coaching conversations. Um, I suppose I'm also, as I mentioned earlier, I, I help run our Godward Base Camp, which is our kind of early talent and graduate program. So that takes up an awful lot of my time. So helping to organize events, social events, community events, learning events, activities, workshops for our graduate community, um, as well as the more strategic side of that, which is, I suppose, planning the next phase of our graduate program. So what are we going to do over the next six months, 12 months, two years, things like that. Um, that that's beautiful. Um, so um, as you mentioned, your role is quite dynamic. You're doing a lot of things, right? So um, one thing that I would love to know is that in respect to um, the work that you do at Guidewire, how has the Guidewire methodology evolved over the years? I suppose our, our methodology has always been agile, but I suppose as our complexity of what we offer to our customers has increased, our, our complexity of our methodology has increased. And obviously, as you implement any methodology, you learn lessons from that. So you learn lessons about what works, what doesn't, and also what changes over time. So obviously changes in the industry, changes in what customers want and expect and what they prioritize causes us to change our methodology as well. Um, so I suppose to talk about maybe what's remained, you know, the most stable, the most static is our customer focus. So as an organization, delivery services, which I'm part of, so our consulting part of Guidewire, um, has always been and continues to be incredibly customer focused. So, you know, ensuring strong, deep relationship with customers is probably one of our top priorities. And then having a methodology that actually delivers successfully for our customers is a big part of that. 
And we do employ Agile, so we use Agile in terms of kind of those ceremonies that were talked about earlier as well. So we kind of run sprints, we do retrospectives, and we do planning, which we call inception. So we do kind of a high level plan and then actually have a backlog. Um, so things like that, I suppose. And again, you know, if you were to look at say seven or eight years ago, on the surface of it, the methodology isn't radically different. I think the complexity has evolved an awful lot. And actually the lessons learned and the complexity of what we can offer has evolved an awful lot. Does that answer the question or would you like more? Oh, absolutely on spot on. Thank you, Ian. And um, if you think about the methodology um, concerning like the product development and the client delivery, would you say they differ or are they uh, the same? Um, I would probably say they, they differ, not significantly. Again, both groups use Agile um, as a real kind of framework. Um, but I think what you have in the client services part or the client focused aspect is a lot more variability. So obviously every client is a bit different. Every client works a little bit different. Essentially, if you think about them as controllables, you have you know, less controllables in that kind of delivery services or professional services world. Um, and that it's, uh, itself causes you to have a, a more dynamic, a more adjustable, um, a more changeable kind of methodology. And also to kind of realize that, that as you start implementing a methodology, as you start working with a customer for the first time, what's working and what's not. So having open, honest conversations with that customer. And um, again, I, when I came into this, there was a very interesting conversation being had about cultures and cultures of organizations and cultures, you know, informs our behavioral norms, informs actually how we operate and what we think is normal and how we do certain things. And that has obviously an effect on methodology and how you actually implement the methodology. So having recognition of that, having open conversations with customers about that, I think is important. And that's, I think, one of the biggest changes, that kind of dynamism, and that variability in the methodology. Um, on our product development side, which I have to say I'm not part of, so I probably can't speak as an expert to it, but you you control your situation an awful lot more. You don't have a client. The client is you know the company that they're delivering pieces of software and development for the company. So they have an awful lot more control there, um, which gives them some benefits but i suppose it's it's you know also means that they're slightly removed from customer as well so they rely on us and you know delivery service to inform them about actually what do customers need how do they use our products things like that right yeah um thank you so much for that ian um so you, there's something that you've been consistent with is the fact that you are trying to basically manage a very good culture and you're dealing with people on the long run and that's something that you've been doing for over the years so with respect to that um um, what good working practices can you highlight for teams? Do you mean, I suppose, like in general, what are my views on kind of good working practices in an organization, I suppose? Yes, more of both. Like what's your general view and um, what specifically have you done, you know, as yourself to just ensure that, you know, um, that should, this is a good working practice and it should be applied to teams as well? Again, I kind of think this idea of a, a flat organization as much as possible, I think is really important. And that doesn't mean that there aren't people who have more experience that you can learn from. So it, it's more about that everyone has a voice. So no matter who, what level com someone comes in at, what experience they come in at, I'm kind of conscious I'm probably talking to a group of people now or maybe interviewing for graduate positions and things like that, that I think it's important whatever company you come into, they really mean it and they kind of connect it out and show examples when they say that you're going to have a voice, you're going to, your opinion is going to be considered you're going to have an impact on projects and things like that it might be as much as someone who has more experience but ultimately that it's always there and i think that culturally is really really important to me and again it's something that we we really actively try and work on in guidewire and the gsc the group i'm part of and that 
we give our, our early talent professionals responsibility. So it doesn't mean that we throw them in the deep end. It doesn't mean that they don't have support, but it means that they have enough responsibility they can learn by doing. They can actually like, you know, enact the skills they've learned during college and bring them to a project and then learn from doing that. Um, and I suppose parts of that are, you know, very open, honest conversations with people and making sure that people know what their support network looks like, who their lead is and who their project manager is, making sure that we hire the kind of people that are always going to be receptive to conversations that really look for, you know, that look to support people actively. It's not just a part of their job. It's really inherent in who they are and their personality is that they want to support others and help others grow. And so things like that, I think, are probably some of the most important parts or cornerstones of, of a really good culture and good working practice. Thank you. So you also uh, talked about the concept of value. Um, do you think it is intangible or something you measure? Um, it, it depends, really. Obviously, like, you know, if you think about professional services organizations, like some of it is incredibly tangible. You're going to have a contract with a customer to deliver a body of work or piece of work. And, you know, there is a very, very clear, tangible thing that you're delivering there. Um, I think where it gets more intangible is, you know, sometimes you may talk to a customer about we're going to deliver you know, value for you. And that sounds great, but, you know, what is value? What if my idea of value is very different than yours to a customer? What if we start a project and I think what value is differs wildly from what you think value is? Um, you know, that can cause some real challenges and, you know, can cause you to get into some difficult situations with customers. So I suppose it's, I think it's important always to really clarify value in a very specific sense sometimes, you know, so as you're starting projects to make sure you have conversations where you talk about, and even kind of maybe get away from terms like valuable priorities, you know, what, what why are you implementing our software? If, you, if you've chosen Guidewire as your cloud provider, your large insurance company, what is it that you're looking to get out of this? What is your long-term vision here? Are there things that you absolutely must have? Are there things that, you know, you have in an old system or a system you're replacing that are pain points for you that you want to, you know, change? Do, are you on a, a wider or deeper, you know, reorganization or pivot a little bit in terms of what you do? And are we part of that solutioning and, and how actually can we help? So I think having those really specific conversations early on in the project where you really get to the heart of what is value for a customer and what does it mean? Like, you know, can they deliver you a vision of, of a perfect implementation? And what does that look like? And I think that like for, for any consultant in any organization, I think that's really important to get a sense of what it is that a customer is looking to get here. And I think at times as consultants, it's up to us to help drive those conversations a little bit, to maybe ask the right questions, to, you know, elaborate on things a little or look for kind of frameworks that we can use for that elaboration. Because customers don't always think in this way. They, they think in a way of kind of running an organization day to day. So if they, you know, get a group of consultants in to implement something for them or do some kind of change management for them. That's quite a unique situation for them. It's quite unusual for them. But I suppose for the group of consultants, it's kind of their day to day. So I think they have to bring that experience of being able to ask those questions of have those, like I said, those frameworks and those methodologies that they talk about actually about what it is it to deliver value and how do we start to measure that over the course of a project and how do we measure at the end of a project. And if we get into a situation maybe where we need to revisit these, how do we do that? You know, so things like this, I suppose. All right. So, um, Ian, you, you, you mentioned something about, um, I mean, the fact that you're a consulting manager, right? Um, that means there are situations where um, you're exposed to 
unusual situations or change, right? So um, the question now is, um, how does consulting change when a client engagement requires working with other partners? So for example, situations where you have to engage external services or fellow consultants, like what, what does it look like? What direction do you um, take and um, how, what, what's the picture like for you? Um, I think, you know, so first of all, this is something that I think we'll do quite commonly. So, you know, just to talk a little bit about kind of what we do. So we are essentially the largest, um, the preeminent kind of um, cloud provider for the insurance industry, for the property and casualty insurance industry. So if you think about a large insurance company, we go in and we we operate and implement our core systems so core policy systems and things like that. So we are really the beating heart of a successful company if we're in there. So an awful lot of other systems will integrate to ours. An awful lot of other, you know, SI service integrators, things like that, will integrate into our system. So we do have these conversations an awful lot. We do have to work with third-party vendors an awful lot. Um, I think coming back to one of my earlier points about kind of that, that cultural change and that, you know, slight chaos that can be caused by two different cultures coming together, you know, Guidewire and maybe an insurance company, you add to the mix a couple of other vendors, a couple of third-party companies, and, and that chaos just gets a bit worse, or worse. So I think one of the things you have to have if you're working with partners is very, very, very strong program management, very, very, very strong project management. Um, again, you have to have those clear conversations about roles and responsibilities, about where does my responsibility stop in terms of maybe if I'm doing an integration to a third party vendor, like where does mine stop and yours start? And um, everyone to agree on dates, to be really clearly communicating if delivery dates are going to be missed or if they're going to slip or they need change. There's multiple stakeholders in that conversation. So again, really strong program management, project management, and um, I think is actually critical to do this. And um, I think as well, the customer has to have an understanding of kind of who to talk to about certain things. So, you know, customers often kind of want a single voice, a single person to represent an implementation of a project. Um, so again, to be clear with them about who that is and kind of what conversations, or if maybe, you know, if, if you're in a situation as a consultant where you're maybe not the primary group or vendor on a project, or maybe one of the secondary or tertiary kind of vendors, and that you have to talk through someone else, making sure that your message doesn't get muddled, that you're clear, that you have those clear lines of communication. Um, I think, you know, it, like anything in the consulting world, it requires just adaptability and an ability to change, an ability to go in with a plan um, and that plan be solid, but to realize during the course of a project what needs to change, what challenges you're seeing, what problems you're seeing, not necessarily to make assumptions that because this worked last time, it's going to work this time and to kind of have those conversations and ask those questions as you feel they're appropriate. So thank you very much. Now that we spoke a lot about like the consultancy part and also um, about your ro role, um, a lot. We also wondered, um, as the insurance industry is famously based on data and also um, actuary centered, would you say there's a lot of room for data scientists in the industry in general, but also especially at Guidewire? I suppose the, the primary role that we hire are software developers, but anyone kind of with data science background um, as an additional skill set, we're always very interested in. I think as a company, we're, we're definitely evolving. Um, our footprint there, I think it is, you know, one of the futures areas growth that we definitely see. Um, I think like lots and lots of companies, it's, you know, in competitive markets, gaining an edge can be difficult and, and actually having really good insights through their data can be really valuable for companies in gaining that insight. 
and um, especially in a highly regular highly regulated environment like insurance like you don't always have the scope to go and do whatever you want it is like banking a, a very very regular environment as it should be because we, we want to know that there's money backing us up when our house burns down or our car crashes but you know it also means that maybe the leeway that companies have to, to change and pivot and offer different things is, is maybe narrow and i think really good strategic data insights can kind of give them an ability to kind of make those decisions um, so I think data along with a couple of other emerging technologies are going to be really important kind of to the next generation of growth for these companies. So again, I know it's it's a real buzzword, but like large language frameworks, ChatGPT, and I know we're probably all sick of it hearing ChatGPT. It's like the answer to all our prayers. But I do think that things like that will also become very important as well. So I suppose, you know, if you think about data and really good data insights in that kind of space of emerging technologies, I think there's a couple of other players in that kind of space as well that are going to be really, really important to both what I do, but also what lots and lots of companies do um, to really kind of gain those insights and gain that competitive market edge that can kind of really make you kind of a leader in your space. And again, I suppose just to kind of bring it back to Guidewire, you know, that's certainly skill sets that we are actively looking at. So just for example, we had um, just last month, we had a kind of a science fair you know, over the course of a month around, you know, ChatGPT and AI, where basically we invited the whole company just to come up with proposals or ideas, not necessarily to implement them, but just one proposal about how we could use this to kind of grow our business and actually kind of, you know, gain a competitive advantage for our customers. Um, and they had to present to the board of management and they had to present to ultimately our CEO um, around. And the idea was based on kind of just the innovation of the winners as opposed to actually what they implement. So again, it's to kind of really get that mindset into the company around innovation, around constant change, around being, you know, being on the forefront of kind of using these technologies and using them well and properly. That's perfect. Thank you so much for that. And um, it's going to be, um, from what you've said, there are obviously people, even amongst us as students, that want to venture into consulting at some point in our lives, right? So um, the question now I have for you is, um, can you um, share like... Um, perhaps like three tips and um, three cautions for um, a consultant that is going to start out basically. Yeah. This is what I, when I looked at the notes, this was by far and away the hardest question to answer. Um, I, I suppose the first thing I would say is I think it can be, and it's not necessarily a tip, but it's just a personal comment, an incredibly rewarding and fulfilling career. Um, I think it's a career that like certainly on early on in your you know, if you're maybe someone just coming out of college, I think being a consultant or working in a consulting role can teach you lots about yourself, can really give you an incredibly solid foundation of skills to move on to anything. Like, so I suppose like look at me, I'm kind of a people manager now, or there are people moving into project manager roles or even kind of strategic leadership roles. And people from that consulting background, I think have a really valuable way of kind of working with customers directly, but also kind of working with very dynamic, changeable situations that gives them a real skill set and a solid grounding there. So I suppose maybe the first thing is to just be open to change and not even be open to it in the sense that, okay, lament it as something that happened, but embrace it. Actually say that change is a huge big part of your job, that the skills that you develop on one project, you may use some of them, but maybe in a different way in the next project. And that just that ever-changing nature of your role is going to become a constant. Um, so rather than just almost fight against it, just embrace it and accept and actually see the value of it. So don't go in with assumptions, but absolutely go in with a framework, a foundation of skills, being able to apply those as relevant to whatever customer you see or whatever situation you see with your customers. And um, that'd be the first one. 
And the second one is kind of back to that point earlier about just emerging technologies that, you know, consultants are often on the forefront of kind of those technologies. They're asked by the customers about them. They're asked to implement them. They're asked to implement them in situations that, again, coming back to that value thing, we don't really know what the value of these things are. But I think, you know, be very open to being well-versed in new technologies, being familiar with new technologies. Don't necessarily get yourself stuck on old technologies, but see that your skill set isn't on maybe a particular technology or language or things like that, but it's more on your ability to actually provide value for your customers. And part of that is just by recognizing trends and recognizing updates and changes in the market and technology and being able to kind of use those effectively. Um, and the third one I think is just really very actively and consciously from early on in your career, build up strong networks. Um, really, really critical, build up strong relationships, both with your customers and with colleagues. And even with those third-party vendors we talked about, um, and maybe one of the bits of advice I kind of give to graduates is in their first year, maybe pick one or two people that you kind of see as mentors and just almost ask them, be very purposeful and ask them, look, would you like to have this mentoring relationship where it's someone you can go to, you can bounce ideas off, you can talk to. And I think in that, you'll kind of develop that habit that, you know, that regular skill, if you will, of kind of building up those kind of mentoring relationships and deep relationships which can be hugely valuable. And then as you develop in your career, you can then give back. You can be that person to help mentor others and grow others and actually gain a lot from that experience as well. Um, and then this, does that answer kind of the three tips? Yeah, now we're talking about like, what are the uh, cautionary steps that we need to take? Yeah, I find this one much, much harder. Um, I suppose the cautionary steps are kind of like in a way there to, the flip side of tips, like don't get yourself pigeonholed a little bit and um, look for challenging situations. I think absolutely, you know, look for those challenging customers, look for those challenging environments, you know, not that you should do so much that you could burn yourself out. Cause I think, you know, taking care of your mental health is, is a huge issue and absolutely something to be kind of prioritized, but definitely early on in your career, certainly look for those situations where, you know, the project's in red status, it's on fire, it's burning down a little. And actually, you will learn an awful lot from that. At the time, it will be a stressful environment. It will be busy. It will be chaotic. But seeing both, you know, the circumstances that got the project into that state and also the, the actions that were taken to re resolve the project and save the project from that state can be hugely informative. Um, so I think, you know, things like that, like don't be afraid of situations like that. Kind of really try and dive into them a little bit and kind of actively embrace them, if you will. Um, and then I suppose I'm struggling for kind of a third caution a little bit. Um, so, yeah, I think maybe just like as a try not to get too pigeonholed and embrace change or essentially don't be afraid of change maybe as a caution and, and look for those kind of difficult environments because they're sometimes the best learning environments probably would be my, my cautionary parts. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely spot on. Thank you so much for that. And um, yeah. Maybe there are some uh, questions from the audience. Thank you very much, Anne. Um, I think I have two questions for you. <laughs> um, the first would be, um, when you were giving tips, right, the third tip you mentioned was we should ensure that um, we build a great network, right? But just to buttress on that, I also wanted to ask, are there any tips or pointers in helping to, you know, help us build a great network from the get-go um, in consulting? Yeah, and I suppose it can come across as a bit cliche, I think, you know, I'll build a network. It's as easy as that, you know, like tick the network box. Um, it obviously doesn't work like that. Like they have to be genuine connections. They have to be people that you, you know, you have a relationship there that's built on something. 
Um, so I think I don't think building a strong network is making sure you say the hi to everyone in the kitchen on a certain day you're in the office. Like that's great and all, but it's it's not going to do you a huge amount. I think in the long term, I think sometimes actually the best networks are built in situations maybe outside of a project environment. So certainly, I think you know just for me anyway, some of the, the best networks and some of the kind of best relationships I've built have been on things like extracurricular activities and work. So we have a very active football team, and I think it's a great leveler. So maybe when you come in and you know, you're more of a junior member of a team actually going and, and playing football or doing an extracurricular activity or, or being on a committee with someone um, or kind of some social event where it brings everyone down to the same level. Everyone's picking up litter on the beach. Everyone's playing football. Everyone's doing on a the, the charity event or something like that can be really good. And just getting to know people that way can be really beneficial. Um, I think as well, sometimes seeking out people can be really good. Um, so if you if you maybe have a talk from a leader or someone quite inspirational, even just approaching them afterwards and just asking, you know, would they be willing to kind of have this relationship can be good as well. If you think there's kind of something in common with them, if they maybe come from the same background or, if, you know, have some of the same challenges that you may have faced in your previous career, I think that could be good as well. Um, so things like that, I think are good. Um, and then I think as you, as you kind of grow in your career, what I would say is also be very conscious of, of looking for those people that you can support as well. Um, obviously, like, you know, you're possibly going to be enrolled or have sure roles in the future where you're your future leader. So you're going to be in charge of things. And there's a big element of coaching and mentoring to that. But maybe just pick those kind of individuals that you feel you can really do something with or you can really help out and off the lot and kind of actively look at that and really, you know, almost, again, sometimes approach them if you feel that, like, you know, they could use your, your advice and support. Yeah, it, it, it was really helpful. I'm going to ensure that I make use of those tips going forward. Thank you very much. All right, so my second question would be um, this kind of, uh, not confusion between um, data analytics being part of software engineering or not, right? So I, I just wanted to ask, do you think the data analytics is treated as software engineering? It's a great question, actually. I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that coming up, but it's a really good question. And in a way, actually, there's maybe a broader question there that how do people see themselves? What is your identity? So, you know, ultimately someone who's a software developer now or a data scientist, they're going to learn a, a language skill set, a technology skill set. But is that their identity? Like, you know, I would have come from, say, a Java development background. And I think I kind of learned after a couple of years that I wasn't a Java developer, I was a developer. And after that, I wasn't just a developer, I was a consultant. So I think ultimately the skills you have, the technical skills you have are great and useful. But I think there's probably a deeper value to people about what your problem-solving skills are, what your ability to develop relationships with, what your ability to kind of go into complex environments and, and see a situation for what it is actually the right value out of it is. Um, in terms of kind of that specific question around software developers and, and data scientists, I think there is clearly a distinction in the skills they learn. I think okay. that distinction is imposed by kind of universities and things like that in courses. But I think as you come in, like, I think, you know, the technology industry changes so quickly and will continue to change that don't pigeonhole yourself into just being a data scientist. You know, if you get on a path that maybe leads a different place, but you're very good at it and your skill really suited, absolutely embrace it. Um, I think as well, certainly in my world, you know, the, te the technical skills you have are just as important, if not slightly less important than those consulting skills. But all the technical skills in the world it can be great, but if you can't actually, you know, influence or build a relationship with a customer or in some way kind of like actually kind of deliver them the value they want, 
your technical skills aren't really going to matter for all that much. And on the flip side of that, if maybe you're not the strongest technical person, but you can really go in and build a relationship with a customer, deliver value, they're probably going to be like, well, he's an excellent consultant, but he's only 95% of the tech skills I need. They're not going to care. Mm-hmm. It'll be like that excellent consultant, that conversation stops. They're going to ask for you again. They're going to look for you to be extended. That's what their value is. That's what they see as being important. Um, so again, it's not to say the technical skills aren't important, but I think there's a more holistic way of kind of looking at your identity in your career um, beyond maybe just a, a relatively narrow view of a technology stack. I don't know how much I answered your question there. It's 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 not a yes or no answer, right? To be honest, I think you did, right? I, um, and I totally agree with you in the sense that um, it's it's it's... It's way more than um, the technical bit of things, right? We need to look at it as a whole and see if you know we're actually solving a problem and helping the customer. So it's more than thinking of, oh, do you have this technical skill or do you think this technical skill is going to work, right? It's thinking of it as a whole. So that was really helpful and very yeah. insightful. Thank you very much once again. No worries. And, and just to say, I think as well, a huge, huge, huge thing for us when we're interviewing or hiring or, or putting together anything is that ability of the team to work together. So, you know, it, it people didn't bring different things to different teams. So I think really focusing that as well as kind of part of your identity and value of being a team player, of yeah. being add value as part of a team um, and essentially kind of removing that ego part of it, I think is really important too. Thank you. No problem. Hi, my name is Chen. Uh, I also want to ask one question uh, about the relationship between the data analytics analytics manager and the software service. So uh, in your opinion, is data analytics managed the same as the soft software service? Yeah, I think for the most part, you know, in terms of kind of what we do, broadly speaking, you know, we will have, you know, people working on data projects or working kind of in a data analytic or data scientist role, essentially. And they will do much the same job um, as our technical consultants working in kind of, you know, a software development realm. So they will talk to customers, gather requirements. I suppose you could argue maybe in that data side, because of the, the nature of the work, it's a little bit more specific at times. So they're talking about very specific sets of data. They generally, if you're working with someone who's you know, a data expert on the customer side, they will be quite specific and, you know, direct in terms of the language they use. Where on the consulting side, we can kind of sometimes see vague terms a little bit more. But ultimately, I think the skill set is still there that you need to be a strong consultant. You absolutely need to bring technical skills, but you need to be able to marry those technical skills to a consultant skill, to a communication skill, to an understanding of what the customer wants, to at times when appropriate challenging that customer, if they think, you know, if you think something is a better idea or if you have a better suggestion, you can use your expertise to, to add value to them. But I think fundamentally, both roles are kind of managed and delivered in the same way, if you will. Thank you. Hi, I'm Luisa. Um, we already briefly mentioned AI before, but how is generative AI impacting your products? A really good question. Honestly, I suppose, like everything, I think it's so new that the only thing we know for certain is it will impact them in some way. Um, like I said, I suppose where we are now as a company um, is that, like everyone else, this is essentially something that, like, you know, six months ago we were talking about, but not, I think, to the same level as we're talking about now. So I think we have an acknowledgement and a realization that it will impact us, that there will be a change, that customers have already started to talk about it a little bit, but even they're unsure about you know, how to use it and how it will be used and what impact it has. 
I suppose ultimately as a company, we are a market leader. So we see ourselves and we, we deliver on that market leadership. So I think, you know, as a culture for us, it's incumbent on us to start talking to our customers about what we think to actually provide insights to them, strategic insights about where we think that, you know, AI is going to be used. Um, I think in terms of a, techno a technical skill set, like obviously is a technical skill set for us to start developing, but there's also, I suppose, an understanding skill set for us to start developing in this and that like, you know, for things like ChatGPT, an awful lot of it is about how you ask those questions, how you phrase those questions. So this was the idea behind our science fair was to really start embedding this, you know, expectation within our employees and just to introduce our employees to this idea of, of AI and actually for them to start to use it a little bit to explore it and just to start building the skill set, even if we're not 100% sure about how we'll implement that, you know, over the next coming years. So again, not a not a direct answer there, but I think for a lot of companies, it is quite new. I think the only thing we know that it is going to have an impact and just to be ready for whatever that impact is, essentially. Thank you. Hi, um, I'm Melina. What are the go-to tools in your technology toolkit? So shame to say, I don't actually do that much technology stuff anymore. So um, I suppose my, my name, like I, I, I was a developer. I was probably an okay developer. Um, but... I suppose go-to tools in my technology toolkit now are mainly, you know, Google Meetings, Zoom, um, things like that. I think to broad the question out a little bit, like my go-to tools are kind of just to be up to date with emerging trends. And obviously, like as a people manager, one of the major things that's come out of the last two years is just hybrid working and things like that. So maybe to kind of pivot away a little bit from a technology toolkit, but a general toolkit, if that's okay as an answer to a question. Um, in my role, like that's been one of the biggest changes over the last couple of years as a manager is how people react to hybrid working, what it's like to get people back in the office, being quite deliberate about when we get people in the office that we're doing that deep collaboration work that there's no point in coming in and doing the work you could do from home. So having how, how to have those conversations, reading up on things like that, understanding what other companies are doing, like, you know, getting you know, feedback and, and ideas from peers and other people and like, you know, LinkedIn and things like that, I think are really important. So right now, I suppose that's kind of the main kind of toolkit, if you will, that I kind of be utilizing. And that's generally the main way I've learned of just of looking at good behaviors that other people have, of trying things out, seeing what works, of, of being very open and honest with my team, having regular retros with them, asking what works, what not, what doesn't, what could we change, what could we do differently? Um, and that applies to, I suppose, that, that graduate program work that I do as well. Thank you. Does working in the insurance industry impact your mindset as a technology company? Ooh, um, I suppose it does in the same way that like, I think any industry you work in essentially colors your view to a certain extent. Um, I think one of the things actually that, you know, people maybe think about the insurance industry, I suppose I probably did before I kind of joined Guidewire. And just, just to clarify, I suppose we absolutely see ourselves as a as a software company so our principles are in agile and fast development around emerging technologies and things like that but obviously we serve an industry that is quite highly regulated and i suppose traditionally now i don't think it's a fair it's a fair comment now but traditionally would have been seen as relatively conservative quite bureaucratic at times maybe and i think one of the interesting things coming out of the insurance industry over the last decade is just the rate of change and just the appreciation of the need to change within what has been quite a slow moving industry at times. Um, and I actually think that's quite an exciting place to be as a company who works directly with insurance companies who provide services for them. Because 
I think we it has forced us and made us kind of be quite innovative in actually how we talk to our customers, what services we offer them, what technology we offer them, and things like that. Um, and I suppose it's it's a huge, massively complex industry that is going through quite a transformational change. I think as demographics change, as people's relationship with insurance changes, as technology changes, such as things as self-driving cars and IoT and stuff like that, you know, it's causing us then to, you know, innovate to actually reflect those changes in our products. So I think it's a really exciting place to be and a really exciting time to be part of this industry as well. Okay. Um, my second question is that uh, you must also face this kind of situation. You have never uh, encountered or understood the customer's problem before, maybe. And uh, how will you deal with this kind of situation? So, so just yes. clarify, it's that you maybe don't understand the challenge or the problem the customer has, is it? Yeah, so you just admit it or how to deal well, with it. The first thing you do is you admit it. Like, you certainly don't pretend that you understand something you don't understand. And I don't know, like, I think this is, it's okay, my mind is kind of, it's not consulting when I want or it's work when I want, it's life when I want. You don't know what's going on. You put your hand up and ask what the hell's going on. Um, It's not always an easy thing to do. It's not always a comfortable place to be. I think you have to do it appropriately. That if you're, if you're, if you're, if your first day on a project's been going on for six months and you're in a meeting where a load of stuff is being discussed and you don't know what any of the terminology is, you probably don't raise your hand at every single terminology point and, and say, what does this mean? But afterwards you grab someone on your team and say, look, can you just give me a rundown on what we're talking about here? Because I'm finding it hard to follow these conversations. So I think half the battle is just admitting you don't know what they're talking about. I think fundamentally to really your question is if, if you don't understand the problem a customer has, or if you don't understand why they're trying to solve something, or if their solution seems clunky to you or unnecessary or just easier solved by something else, I think have that conversation with them. It may be that the mindset you're coming from makes an assumption that they don't have. It may be that there's an assumption they make that because they do this job day to day, because they run their company day to day, they work in a certain environment or a certain industry in a certain way that requires them to act a certain way or to, or to solve a problem in a certain way through regulatory means or whatever. And it could just be a communications mismatch. It could just be that you need some more context to understand it. If ultimately it gets to the stage where you don't understand why they're solving a problem or the problem they're solving, and you don't understand their solution, you, you don't think it makes sense, you don't think it's a good solution for them, I think it's incumbent on you as a consultant to talk to them about that. Um, to first of all, have put in the time to build up that relationship that you can have that at times difficult conversation, but also to bring your expertise, to talk about, you know, what you may do to, to reference maybe different projects you've been on where something different has had a, a, like a really successful impact at much less cost, perhaps. Um, I think if you bring them this, I think if you just say, I don't like that without a follow up, without a solution, without some kind of further follow on thought, it, it's going to be a really hard conversation. Because you're just the no person. You know, you need to come with a solution. That's ultimately, as consultants, what we do. We, we solve problems. You know, we get into customers, we get into gritty situations, and we solve their problems. And that does at times mean having challenging conversations with them. It does at times mean bringing your expertise, maybe where they are, you know, true cultural means or just true years of doing the same thing. They think a certain way about something, and they have a hard time thinking outside that box. But bringing that alternative suggestion to them, be it through a proof of concept, through a demo, through bringing in an expert maybe from your team or external to your project who can kind of talk to them a little bit about this. But I think ultimately, you know, it is incumbent on us to have those conversations to try and deliver value that way. 
Um, but but certainly to come back to my original point, if you don't understand what's going on, if you don't understand what problem your customer has, if you don't understand what they're talking about, you ask them. And I think if you don't, you're never going to get to the further on. You're never going to anywhere else. And you'll actually, you'll regret not doing it later on because the harder, the longer it goes on, the longer you're in situations and meetings where you don't understand what's being talked about, the harder it is to be like, oh, five meetings ago, we talked about this and I have, still have no idea what's happening. It, it's awkward, you know? So I would just say, Try and build up resilience to that. It, it, it can be hard. It's a difficult thing to do to put up your hand and say, I have no clue what's happening here, even if it's in a private setting, but just kind of try and do it. And I've actually, some of the best leaders and very senior leaders I've worked with are people who do that. It will almost stop a meeting and say, look, I'm just going to have, someone's going to have to give me a 30 second primer here because I might be a senior director, but I have no clue what's being talked about, you know? Yeah, so I guess um, we'll wrap up there. Thank you so much, Ian, for sharing your insights and all the ideas uh, today with us. And um, thank you also from the audience to answer all their questions. Look, thanks very much for the invite. Thanks for the great questions, everyone. And just thanks for taking the time to chat to me. Really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening. The music used is Voltaic Fluctuations by Ben Prunty and used with his permission. 